This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Welcome to Savage Starlight, the officially unofficial podcast for The Last of Us on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking season one, episode one, but we're talking the feedback, talking what you guys have to say. Uh, Aaron, I heard reports uh, about a lot of emails coming in from Jakarta. Just a ton. Got to close the borders. Got to close the borders. Take all your flour, all the flour in your house, burn it. <laughs> or eat all, it. Feed it the, to the dog. All, all raisin cookies, burn it. Not because we're worried about fungus, just, just burn them. Burn yeah. them. Get all these raisin cookies out of your house before someone might accidentally eat them. <laughs> My God, there are some freaks out there defending raisin oatmeal. Oh, why? Really That's going to the mat. To People threatening to send us to our post office box. Uh, biohazard. Which is what uh, <laughs> it would cost three times what it would cost to send us chocolate chips. So I'm just saying. I mean, like, you know, oatmeal cookies are fine. Why do you want to put stale grapes in them? Come on. <laughs> Come on. Very stale. Um, but yeah, I, yeah I, I'm we're, we're monitoring the oatmeal raisin cookie situation in Jakarta. The other thing I'm monitoring is we are the number two podcast Ooh. in TV and film. Solid. According to Chartable and the iTunes rankings, the only if uh, the only one ranked higher is the official podcast, which, again, contains both showrunners interviewed by the voice of Joel. So this is some pretty fucking mm-hmm. rarefied air to be in. And we owe it all to you guys. If you guys weren't listening, especially people rating, reviewing, liking, sharing, uh, yeah. we wouldn't be here. We are punching like way above our weight class. And uh, you guys are quite the uh what do they call that in the military uh force multipliers yeah um so thank you for that it's always nice to see um i also did a poll i promised i'd do this i I asked the bald move community uh whether people have played part one and two just part one or if people are just watching i also had a a fourth option for for people who weren't watching at all i was astounded 23 percent of the audience uh, in the bald, and there's like over 1,200 responses. This is a highly representative sample. 23% of our fans have played both of the the video games, part one and two. Uh, an additional 13% have played part one. So you've got over a third of the audience being familiar with the source material. Uh, 60% are just watching. Only 5% of the community indicated that they're not they're out on the show altogether. I think this hmm. might be some of the highest. I, I, I don't know that we've, we, we, we'd ever had that much, you know, penetration of people that are familiar with the source material. Maybe, yeah. I don't know. I don't, I mean, I, I'm trying to think of 40% of the game of Thrones audience had read all of the books or any of the books. Like oh, that I seems unlikely, mm-hmm. but um, you know, you're, when you're dealing with podcast folks, you're, you're talking about the, the, the 1% of the 1% of the people who are, you know, crazy about the show. So yeah. uh, I thought that was just interesting statistics. Uh, now that's not going to change how we cover. We're still going to do show first. Uh, we are not going to be dealing with spoilers. If we do talk about spoilers or things from the video game, it will be safely ensconced at the end of the episode. In fact, there's one piece of feedback about the last of us part two that I'm going to break out the super spore lore. 
part oh, two boy. version that's at the very very end of the spoiler uh, the spoiler con- uh, consideration so it's, the spoiler section is already evolving i don't like it it is it seems it more is. dangerous and as we're going to find out, there's just limited antifungals that you can use to treat this thing. Uh, hopefully it won't take over the whole pocket. I'm going to keep I'm going to keep that from happening. If me and Jim have to hug each other with a live grenade, <laughs> last men on earth style to keep the sp- stop the spread, we'll, we'll do it. Uh, shall we begin? Yeah, let's do it. If you want in on this year feedback podcast, uh, it's T-Lou, T-L-O-U, skip to T-Lou, my darling at baldmove.com. Just T-Lou at baldmove.com. Uh, Tyler P says, I've just finished listening to your preseason coverage. And one of the things you worried about is will this find an audience due to others thinking is just another zombie show? I really don't think this will be an issue since it really has been a while since zombies have been relevant. Sure. You got the walking dead just finishing up, but there are many people like myself who have not seen a single episode of the walking dead in over four years. Personally, I feel like the true height of the zombie fatigue was right in 2013, where ironically the last of us as a video game rose up and shined bright despite people being over zombie media at the time. I personally feel that the quality of the story is so good that people, no matter their presence, uh, will love it. Personally, I was very excited to hear HBO, along with all the incredible talent, uh, was adapting this for people like my dad, who I know will love the story, but there's no way he was going to buy a PlayStation 4 just to experience it. All in all, The Last of Us, while uh, being a zombie story, quote-unquote, is more of a setting, and a true, this true story is between the incredible characters with the infected serving as background. I think that's a hundred percent accurate and right. Mm-hmm. It's still something I was worried about, but you know, when you see over 5 million people checked out the first episode, I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah. there's there are people are, people are in the mood for uh, a late winter zombie zombie tale. Yeah. Has it been long enough that it's wrapped back around and people are now again, interested in zombies. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, and that's the thing, even early walking dead, we were talking about that, how, Mm -hmm. you know, this might be the height of it, like season three, two, maybe. Right. Cause it kind of culminated in like all this increased zombie stuff. Mm -hmm. But, but the other thing is about with genres is even when they're dead, they never really go away. I mean, when there's a really good (laughs) Western, like zombie, uh huh? Like the zombies themselves. You can't kill Westerns. Uh, every once in a while, there'll be a really good high profile one that comes out and everybody talks about Hollywood musicals, another dead genre. But every once in a while, you'll get an, a La La Land uh, mm-hmm. that that catches people's imagination. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I mean, it's clear now that that my, my worry was unfounded, but um, good news for all of us. At least the last of us. Uh, Eddie S., I'm going to start by saying the zombies look nasty as hell. Their mouths are just full of tentacle porn, but it's a cool switch from normal zombies. I'm sure when they get into the city, there'll be more intense moments, but I wanted to see some more gore from the zombies. I don't know how their new noodle mouths are going to work, but it doesn't seem as fun to see. Does uh, uh, fun to see his teeth chomping down on people. I'm hoping we get to see some messed up stuff soon with the clickers on their way. Thanks for coming to the show. Endure and survive. A little savage starlight sure. quote for you. Um, what do you think both. about? I, I think the, yeah. the bite comes before the, the tentacles. You know, I mean, they gotta gotta pen- penetrate the skin to get those tentacles in there. You can see um, the neighbors are bleeding pretty severely, so I think it's gonna be right. a little bit of both. You know, they but they won't rip people's guts open and stuff like that. But you you'll get some disgusting things in different ways. I think. 
Yeah, I'm like, even if it's just like the Borg in First Contact, where it's like nanotubes that inject and you just start transforming, like that's creepy in its own way. And I also, man, I think that weird mouth parts are scary. Like imagine like if you see like a a cricket, you know, they got like this almost like two hands just kind of going just this. You can't tell on a podcast, but I'm, I'm wiggling my hands in front of my mouth like a cricket. Um, and those things just flins the flesh off of stuff. Hmm. It's just like an assembly, like a deconstructor assembly line. And like that happening to a human neck uh, while it's simultaneously injecting things into you. Um, man, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm, I can I can conceive of what it's like for a crazy person to bite me, bite a chunk of flesh off. I don't know what grandma coming at me with a mouthful of alfalfa sprouts and injecting them into me. Ah, it seems more horrifying. Yeah, I don't expect it to be as gory and violent as a a traditional zombie show, but probably there will be some of that. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. We'll get the more of that later Mm -hmm. um, when we're talking speculating about the violence and the gore of the show. Uh, Meg says, what a ride episode one was. I said I wouldn't let my excitement get to me, but I checked my not broken watch and I'd already shed a tear just four minutes in. I love what happened at four minutes in. Was it just, oh, just how faithful oh, it was? Cookies. <laughs> yeah. They tried to give that girl oatmeal. Yeah, uh-huh. it's it's disgusting. It's disgusting. It's the 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 terrible joke that lady made about three. The real grooming menace. They're trying to get children I... young and indoctrinate them into the oatmeal raisin. It's yeah. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Um, <laughs> I love the majority of it. The only thing that threw me off a little was the test Joel dynamic. As far as I recall, she was the one everyone in the QZ underground feared, but it also seems to be flipped to Joel being the more feared one. Tess just seemed less authoritative, even jumping at a non-moving dead clicker on the wall. You got any thoughts on the who's the real power in the Boston QZ here? I don't remember that uh, the Tess was more feared. It's totally possible, but... I, I don't know, because I, I did go back and listen to the official HBO podcast, and they were talking a little bit about this dynamic between them and something that we kind of picked up on as well. Uh, and it's that Tess has kind of a a way of speaking with Joel, a way of connecting with Joel that makes him almost uh, an extension of her in some mm. ways. And I think that's super interesting, um, especially as we get kind of out of Boston and see how that goes. Uh, I'm going to be looking for that. But I think Tess has a lot more power than you would expect based on Joel's apparent reputation in the community. Yeah. And I, in the game, I never thought that they were like the top dogs, you sure. know, like for their, like for the, their independent status, not being like mobbed up with people. They were, I mean, they're, they're the bald move, the, the QZ, you know, they're punching above sure, their weight, sure. but they're not the most powerful of the underworld. But like, to me, it's like, if you think in, in the Godfather, you know, you've got uh, uh, Vito Corleone and you got Luca Brasi. Which one is scarier? I mean, Vito, obviously. Right, because he's the one that's holding Luca Brasi. Mm-hmm. I mean, you might say something wrong or bump into him in the club and get gutted by Luca Brasi, yeah. but like the, the most people are going to die by him is the one that the Godfather puts the finger on, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's Tess. Like everyone knows that Joel is kind of her chained mad dog yeah. that she can let off the leash, but she's the one that can 
obviously pacify him and calm him down and focus mm-hmm. him up. And she's also the one that can kind of uncork him. And I, I still think that makes her, you know, I felt very strong as she's the one that had the quote unquote pants. She's got the hand uh-huh. in the relationship. <laughs> totally. Um, it also kind of reminded me in the not as extreme way, but like Naomi and Amos in the expanse uh-huh. where like yeah. Amos just offloads his moral processing to someone that he trusts better. And Joel is like this kind of numbed individual. He kind of like does the same. And clearly, mm-hmm. I don't think Joel is a, you know, psych psychopath like yeah. or, or what it's not. It's not that Amos is a psychopath. He's a sociopath sociopath. Yes. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I don't think Joel is a sociopath. He's just very damaged and traumatized. Yeah. Um, so I, I, that that was my take on it, though. Mara's up next. She says, "I came into the show knowing nothing of the video game and not having seen the trailer. I will usually give a new HBO show a chance, even if I have no knowledge of it. Obviously, I can't speak for all noobs, but I love this first episode. I no longer enjoy gory horror movies." So I had a bit of trepidation in the beginning, but I thought they did a good job of balancing tension and mayhem and not being too outlandish with the gore. All while getting us to care about the characters enough to have emotional reactions in a very short amount of time. I'm looking forward to the rest of the season and seeing the journey that Joel and Ellie go on, but I'm hoping there is a spoiler-free way you can speak to how much gore I can expect. For example, do you think it's going to be worse than The Walking Dead? No, definitely not. Um... I, I can't imagine. I, the Walking Dead basically had no limits on the gore it could do, even though it was on uh-huh. AMC, where presumably right. it'd have more restrictions than HBO. Um, th- th- I think... So, so the most gore I ever saw in the video game was the 95 times I would die during a stealth sequence. I was about and to say. One of the one of the fungal zombies would get me. Yeah. So... Obviously, that's not going to happen in the show, right? Joel's not going to get eaten 46 times trying to get through a building, uh, Groundhog Day style, Edge of Tomorrow yeah. style. Um, yeah. So I, I wouldn't expect like a ton, but definitely, you know, there are other characters who can die. And I think when they die, it will probably be pretty gruesome. You'll probably see a lot of stuff like that mushroomed whoever it was down in the subway tunnels um, Yeah. in that first episode. There'll probably be a lot more stuff like that. And if you yeah. consider that gore, I guess that could be pretty disgusting. But I, I don't think there's too much. And I've I've heard Craig Mazin talk about this too. He doesn't want there to be more gore than there really needs to be. He doesn't want to go what people might call full HBO. Um, yeah, and just do gore for gore's sake. So I, I think it'll be fairly reserved considering the genre. Yeah, and I want to echo your comments because I I I found a YouTube video that is like the fifty seven ways Joel can die in The Last of Us Part One, and it was <laughs> oh, like boy. just a, just a quick shot of every single one of those sequences where you die and then either a human or a zombie gets you. Uh-huh. There's there's one or two that stick out in my mind involving some of the more elaborate fungal forms, but like the thing that's interesting is right before it's about to get like full-on game of thrones or walking dead the camera cuts to black <laughs> oh okay so like even the wa- even even the last of us sensibility is not just like mindless gore i mean you'll see people get horrifically injured you'll see people in pain you know but like it's you're not going to see 
again, I don't I, I, I don't know, but I wouldn't suspect you're going to see people like ripped in half, their guts torn out, mm-hmm. someone pinned to a glass screaming as 100 zombies are eating their backsides alive. <laughs> right. Like I, I, it's not that it's not that it wasn't that kind of game. It's it's horrifically violent. Mm-hmm. But it's not sensationalized like you see, you know, the trend nowadays when you look at Peacemaker, the boys. Right. Well, what is just like maximized gonzo type of gore. And mm-hmm. that's not it, it's, it's I guess, dare say, dare I say more realistic. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it seems like Craig Mazin agrees with that aesthetic. We'll be right back with more bald move after this brief pause. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Paramount+. Plus. An unlikely friendship begins in the Paramount Plus original movie, Little Wing, starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Reeling from her parents' divorce, Caitlin steals a valuable bird to save her home, but instead forms a bond with the owner, leading to a new outlook on life. Little Wing, now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Rated PG-13. And now, back with more Bald Move. Gary V says, what the fuck was HBO thinking debuting this show the same week as the NFL postseason playoffs are going to start? I know the overlap between the gamers and genre TV and film fans and fans of NFL may not be that great, but it's something that only applies and it's something that only applies to American audiences, but certainly it's not negligible. I thought HBO is a bit short-sighted last year, having the latter half of the first season of Hot D go against the beginning of the NFL season where this had never happened in Game of Thrones, but trying to compete for eyeballs when the NFL is in its most important time of the year seems a bit foolish. Episode 5 of T. Lou is set to complete uh, compete against suit the Super Bowl, for crying out loud. Seems downright idiotic. It seems like it would not have been an issue to hold on to the show for just a few more weeks to avoid the scheduling conflict. As part of that overlap of NFL and genre television fan, I'm kind of bummed that immediate discussion reaction of half the season will be downplayed as it'll be the following Monday that a great deal of fans will be watching the episodes. Well, certainly a bummer for me because I didn't like having to leave the hometown. My, my adopted hometown's hotly contested playoff game at the beginning of the fourth quarter. That kind of sucked. But, you know, uh, you, you do what you do for the number two spot on Charitable. Uh, sure. <laughs> I, I I don't know. I because I I don't I don't know what to think. I mean, obviously HBO got a lot of eyeballs. However, they track it on Sunday night. Uh huh. Yeah, I, you've got. I, I've got an idea on what this might be. Yeah. I I don't know. There's a a bit of a like what came first because if you remember. Not only did House of the Dragon premiere um, or air around the same time as uh, the NFL stuff last season, but so did Rings of Power. And Amazon, through Amazon Prime, has the the rights to stream the NFL stuff now. The Thursday night games, particularly. Yeah. Oh, oh, just the Thursday night games? I think it's just a Thursday night, but that's germane to this because that's when their Uh, other TV shows premiere. I, I... 
Okay, well, but it's not Jermaine. I was thinking they had rights to stream all the NFL stuff, so this might not uh, matter. I was thinking maybe it's counter-programming because if Amazon Prime has the rights to stream football games, you'd want to counter-program your biggest shows against it, I would yeah. think, to try and yeah. steal their audience. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know. That blows my theory up. Yeah, and there is increasingly, it used to be, you know, back when I was a teenager, there was a pretty big firewall between the jocks and the nerds that played video games. Sure. But that has slowly been breaking down as video games become more mm-hmm. accepted. And you've got like you Madden and FIFA kind of like paving the way to where oh, I'm into sports, but I also like video games. And, you know, The Last of Us is one of the most well-selling and critically acclaimed video games of all time. So there is a lot of crossover there, but like, I don't know that HBO cares if people watch it Sunday night versus Monday. <laughs> and like you're also this Netflix. is a very East Coast. This is a very East Coast American perspective because like Mountain Time and West Coast people are like, yeah. oh, cool. I just got done watching the last playoff game. It's 915 time to start The Last of Us. So uh, could they have gotten to 7 million if they didn't have work competing <laughs> against the playoff game? And the other thing is like the playoff game has to be good. Like if that Baltimore Cincinnati game was like a 40 10 laugher at the fourth quarter, mm-hmm. like you'd have a hell of a lot of people turning it off in favor. So I don't know. I don't know. It's uh, it is some, it is some competition for the first four or five weeks though. Yeah. Especially sure. the super bowl. The super bowl is the one where I could really see eyeballs being taken away from it. Mm-hmm. But again, the the premiere night numbers are not as important as the like one day plus three like to places like HBO Max and HBO. I think they're increasingly looking at like how many eyeballs are we getting in those first four days to judge. So um, and it doesn't doesn't impact our coverage because we're just or I, I guess I'm the one taking a hit because Jim is colorblind to sports. <laughs> yeah, not my thing. Doesn't see doesn't see that spectrum. Uh, Wesson from the UK says, I thought it all looked perfect and very faithful to the game. My only complaint is what happened to Mercy. You can do what you like to people, but I need to know that all the dogs are safe. Well, the good thing is you get to make up your own story about Mercy. I think, I think Mercy is a good boy and he got away clean. <laughs> I mean, the, the, you could also think, well, we jumped forward 20 years, so Mercy's probably dead anyway. True. Like, so that's Regardless. old. That's old for border collie. Yeah, but Mercy di- died in their bed. Yeah, happy, uh, yeah. peacefully, surrounded by their pups and loved ones and their pack. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, they're holding their paws, candlelight. It's is beautiful. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, also, if you are a huge uh, dog lover, play The Last of Us Part Two. That'll cure you of that. Okay. <laughs> Cause dogs, if they're not on your side, are real fuckers. Uh huh. Real fuckers. Um, it is so funny because we this was the last Craig Mazin uh, project. Like people watch yeah. firemen get melted in their boots, not bad an eye. Uh, see men ordered to their death by radiation. Nothing, but one batch of dogs gets shot because they're radiated, and <laughs> oh my god, oh yeah. my god, the tears flew up, flew. Rob from NC, North Carolina, says, I'm curious to see if they address technology in the universe. Uh, It's clear that they're somehow generating power and either have been rationing very carefully or have a way to refine fuel for trucks, helicopters, and etc. They plan to drive from Boston to Cody. Uh, I have to assume that they're going to need gas along the way, so I'm interested in seeing how they handle that. Can you shed any light on this, or is it all mildly interesting? Um, It's not even... 
mildly interesting. The well, hmm, I, I I don't know. I would assume we're going to see them with a the big truckload of gas canisters uh, mm-hmm. provided by the fireflies, but I don't know that. Yeah, and there is some mild interest here. Um, I think it's suffice to say that in the game, you in fits and starts get an idea of how 20 years on society is either trying to keep crumbling infrastructure going with less and less resources or trying to restart infrastructure that's been lost. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it's safe to assume that there is some limited amount of petroleum being extracted from the ground, being refined, you know, lots of solar, lots of batteries, lots of, you know, everything that's got is very limited and precious, especially things are. But it's still it's not like society. It's not like the Walking Dead where like all governments have just collapsed. I mean, Fedra is proof that there is some central organizing authority that is trying to maintain something uh, to some yeah. success. The bigger question so. to me is how the hell anybody survived this, given the nature of the infected um yeah how they can run and jump and climb and all kinds of shit how do they not just storm the walls but yeah, how uh-huh. do they get walls established in the first place how do they get enough space between them and the infected to get a wall up around boston that's well you that's know wild. we there's a reason we don't have healthcare in this country uh, because <laughs> we have the most fantastic killing people things that you can even imagine so I imagine mm-hmm. a, a wall of lead around some of the key cities uh, might have might have gotten and the army corps of engineers might have got something together before everything just went to shit but makes me wonder how many cities are out there because you yeah. can only I don't know there's a lot of people in America I'll say that like even as a person who played the game it's unclear to me how many safe zones there exist Um, yeah you know because you play a character Joel does he's not he's not plugged into shit so yeah QZs of this size have to be pretty rare I imagine I would think so I would think so Uh, Garth says in the instant podcast Aaron asked what the point of having the introduction take place in the 60s what the point was Uh, I think it serves a number of purposes one it gives a convenient way for an info dump without making it seem too ham-fisted. We've seen a plethora of shows and movies where they just force a newscaster or other character to give a huge amount of info in the midst of chaos or outbreak. I'm sure Druckmann and Mazin wanted to find a unique way of explaining the information that the audience would need later for the game. Two, it adds some heightened drama for our current society. How many scientific theories, which later turned out to be true, have been dismissed? Or even worse, just ignored because society was unwilling to change the current way of life or thinking to accept these. Mm -hmm. In this situation, the third point, Joel was born in 1967. And if my math is right, he would have been all of one year old at the time of the broadcast shown in the prologue. No one we meet in the pilot would have been much older, if alive at all, or able to change a damn thing if they watched the broadcast. It adds a layer of tragedy to the point mentioned above. It implies in a decidedly grim way that we are all destined to suffer or perhaps even go extinct for the previous generations in actions. Yeah, grim stuff. Trying to get out with the, you know, the climate change stuff uh, that we were talking about. But yeah, I, I really like also the way that Mason thinks about these things when he's writing. Um, he talked about this in in pretty good detail here. He he told yes. a story about how he pitched this twice to Druckmann. He didn't like it the first time. They were going to go with some kind of ant cordyceps nature documentary kind of footage mm-hmm. at the beginning of this until the very end, like a couple of weeks before shooting wrapped. 
um, and they just were never satisfied with it and ended up subbing out this. But he was talking about how this gives you a very distinct feeling that the threat has always been out there. And like like you said, we've been just kind of resting on our laurels, uh, ignoring the problem or the potential problem, thinking, ah, eh, it, it won't ever be an issue. You know, it's not an yeah. issue right now. So, eh, who cares? Yeah. No, I think this makes a lot of sense, and especially giving the distance, you know, that that, that this is kind of like it is a lot of people point out in the um, the feedback that I didn't have time to read because well, I got like twice as much feedback as I could. And it's just the first episode. Um, uh-huh. Global cooling was actually something that the scientists were more worried about in the late 60s. Neil Armstrong's talk at the Cincinnati History Museum, notwithstanding, that was a thing mm-hmm. that like uh, they were worried about going and. And it actually does seem like the world was primed to kind of go into and starting to go into another ice age, a period of cooling. And we subverted that with our uh, terraforming right. project. Well, that makes me feel better about 19th warming. and 20th centuries. Well, you know, there's too much of a good thing. <laughs> sure. Um, but yeah, I think those are all great points. And I appreciate your email, Garth. Cohen says there were a few things I found a little weird or nonsensical. For example, Tommy getting separated by Joel. Uh, from Joel by two cars, he could have easily jumped over instead of having to fend off a runner. There was yeah, fire. there was fire. There it was, was fire. a lot of fire there. I, I, they I were was kinda... specifically looking for that. Like, how did they actually get separated? And it was a couple of cars blocking an alleyway with fire kind of in, encompassing the entire area. So I, I believed it. But sure, if you didn't. It's a little video gamey logic where you got a character who can jump twice their height and run super fast and climb sheer walls, but they get to a chain link fence and they just can't get over it. Right. Just just right. can't just can't climb the six foot chain link fence because that's the edge of the level and there's uh-huh. no more, you know, so I, I, I felt like it's a little video gamey logic, but you're right. I think they also made it to like the these things wrecked right in front of an alley. Yep. So like. And you do know, you want to climb You can't just walk or Yeah. Like two cars on fire that could blow up at any Exploded moment. Exploded leaking time, fuel. Yeah. And yeah, not me. Yeah. Not me. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we also know that Robert and Marlene's groups had just finished a firefight when Joel and Tess arrived since Marlene and her lieutenant are standing in the hallway with their guns up. So how come Joel and Tess didn't hear a bit of the gunfire? I extra framing, man. Thick walls. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm kidding. But, but I do point. think being underground and also like mm. immediately after firefight can be anything from 30 seconds to five, 10 minutes. True. And you can cover a lot of ground underground and gunfire. Yeah. I, I, I don't know. I, it, I didn't think it was that, that weird. Um, also Mr. Pillhead McDumbfuck just standing there not firing a single shot while Joel rushed and body slammed him. I think they should have had him kill Pillhead McDumbfuck the moment Ellie stabbed him in the leg instead of having a pause. But we did get the awesome flashback to present Joel moment, so I guess I can't complain. Overall, minor gripes. This is a great episode, and I can't wait for the next one. Um, I, you know, I thought the same thing, but also maybe the guy is on, you know, uh, oxy, uh, a Vicodin or Oxycontin or Hydrocodine, sure. so he is a little slow. He's not expecting Joel to rush him and beat him to death. He's expecting, you know, because I, I, it looks like when Ellie stabs him, his reaction is kind of like, what the fuck, man? More than like, oh, the jig is up. Yeah. I don't think he yeah, wants I think to he was kill. still trying to make a deal with Joel, right? For more drugs, more yeah. tickets, whatever. Yeah. Like this is a drug addict and his only connect is through Joel. 
Like, there's got to be a hesitation there. But, like, you know, like I said, I think you've got you made good arguments for the side of argument. I think that mm-hmm. the episode's good enough that, as you said, you can you can overlook a lot of that. And uh, again, I, I've heard just from people who've seen the whole thing and rev- and, and uh, professional reviewers like Adam, Se- Adam, Alan Seppenwall, that this was kind of the clunkier of the episodes because they did have the director change and there was uh, some reshooting. And so if this is the if this is the roughest episode we're in for a smooth ride ahead. Uh, Dave from the Outer Banks, North Carolina. What I loved about this episode was that we got to see what we rarely do in a zombie movie or show, the beginning of an outbreak. Seeing the mayhem in the streets with Joel, Tommy, and Sarah was so fun and riveting at the same time. The chaos, the unknown, defeating frenzies on unsuspecting victims, helicopters, explosions, the military turning on civilians on the first night. Is so awesome, and as a zombie fan, it's something we rarely see. This brings me to one of the big flaws in the episode, the fact that we only get to see the downfall of, downfall of civilization for less than half the episode. It's frustrating. Don't get me wrong, I love where the episode landed. I'm just interested in the new world and the adventure that's going to take place. I feel like we missed out on an incredible television and storytelling opportunity by not giving us at least one full episode of Outbreak. Huh. Trying to, I'm trying to calibrate on that statement that we rarely see it. I, I think you're right that we rarely see the macro picture. Um, but there's almost always a, a sequence of, of scenes or episodes where we see them dealing with the outbreak, um, the, the initial outbreak. I think The Walking sure. Dead is, is sort of an exception in that and where we just skip kind of right over it uh-huh. or is in it. Um, I'm thinking of like the Black Summer show. I want to say uh, it's like older shit, like Dead Set. Um, Fear of the Walking Dead was very outbreak focused at the beginning. But I, we even remember complaining the same thing because we thought the promise uh-huh. of that was we're going to see the fall, and we kind of saw the first night, and then yada yada yada. Now we got safe zones. Now we got this. Now yeah, yeah. So, so you're not wrong. I, I I've hmm. Yeah, after thinking about it for a bit, it's like, okay, maybe we don't see that. I have a hot take. I, I like it, though. Um, I, I like seeing the bits that we did get to see here. But, man, how do, how do you show much more than this without... Yeah. I don't know. I, I guess it could have gone on a couple more episodes. But I, I'm just so excited to get to the stuff that I know is coming that yeah. <laughs> I don't really want to spend a lot of time in that. But that's just me. And my hot take is one of the reasons the zombie shows shy away from this is it's really hard to tell the story of the world falling to zombies. I just, sure, I just think sure. it's fundamentally unbelievable. Like, gotcha. You know, we have like in the United States, we have like a million soldiers. We have like thousands of tanks, thousands of aircraft, uh, all capable of dealing with death, the tens of thousands of people. You could nuke regions. Now, I think the wow. last of us with like the food contamination that might have taken a while to get going and the fact uh-huh. that these are fast rage zombies. And, but even still, even still, it's hard for me to understand that the entire and, and I, I guess that's the other thing is that the, the military likely ravaged, too, if their their right. batch of flour got their strategic flour supply got compromised. Uh-huh. Their strategic bisquick su- supply. <laughs> yeah. Um, the you know that's bisquick the, reserves were tainted. The, and, yeah. Do you know that the, the the Washington Monument's actually just a giant silo full of bisquick? That's I where didn't. the strategic bisquick reserve. Yeah. It's, it was going to be huh. the plot for National Treasure 3. Um, <laughs> okay. 
How about the Lincoln uh, Memorial? Is that also is Lincoln full of Bisquick? He's actually full of and this is this is kind of scandalous Canadian maple syrup. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. Oh, he's like he's like a giant Mrs. Butterworth made out of marble. You just tip the whole thing over. It runs out his nose. Uh, no, I, I, I just, I, I, I've, I, if you listen back to our Walking Dead coverage, I, I've talked about this a lot. Like, I just don't, especially Walking Dead sh- shambling zombies. Mm-hmm. They always show like a single zombie going towards and biting a soldier, and they pull him back behind the lines, and that guy goes. I was like, come the fuck on, like, yeah, especially something slow acting uh, in its infection. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. hard to believe. But the faster yeah. acting the infection is, which this is pretty five fast. Five to ten minutes, five pretty to quick. Minutes, the, and it the looks like the, the the zombies can move. Uh, yeah. you, you start to up the the ante there. Um, yeah. And I want to say, like spreading through the food supply, something you can't avoid yeah, entirely. Yeah, you know, and maybe can't even detect. Yeah, that, right. That's that's rough. I will say, I don't count nukes as part of the arsenal. But then again, I'm not a ruthless asshole who would use them on innocent civilians if uh so being overrun like by a rage zombie virus I, I mean what you're gonna go new nuke you new york city because there are like fifteen thousand zombies in it and spreading nah fifteen thousand um three million thousand three million like how many people yeah. are you willing to kill because maybe yeah. we can't get this yeah. under control with traditional arsenal i don't know yeah i'm nuking new york city at three million zombies oh, sorry Sorry, oh, sorry, Big Apple. I'm not moving to New York anytime soon. <laughs> Me either. You're not becoming. You're not getting your hands on the Love football to visit. anytime soon. So that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't know. It's like a giant trolley problem, right? Do you, do you uh-huh. do you sacrifice totally. the queen jewel of American cities uh, to save a nation of 360 million, or yeah, do you? And then the other thing is like any I, other options. Really. You have yeah. so many other options to pacify three million rage zombies in a city that's still got probably another seven, eight million to infect. Sure. We've got uh, traditional bombs. <laughs> We've got uh, nerve gas. We could, we could kill all of the people in New York in a lot of different ways. Don't have to use nukes. Okay, so you're not you're not opposed <laughs> to killing the people of New York. You just want the architecture. Right, right. Neutron bomb New York City. Okay, all right. Yeah. Okay, I, mean, I, I don't want to have to rebuild an entire wall. My mistake. I thought this was a humanitarian concern. All right, all right. Uh, <laughs> Luke from Melbourne, uh, regarding the bracelet that we had some questions over, says her fellow students twitching appears to be what's called myoclonus a common sign of certain conditions affecting the central nervous system likely indicating that this Mm. student has recently been infected with the new fungal disease all right see i didn't get that i thought they it was just like you know someone fidgeting like you know like you like the way you bounce your knee or Uh uh-huh absolutely yeah but but it could also be this that makes a lot of sense actually yeah uh, it continued, notable other disease which causes myoclonus is, oh, good Lord, Kreutzfeldt-Jakob disease, sometimes referred to as mad cow disease, which is uh, used as a cause of the outbreak in the film Zombieland and has been used in the X-Files as well. It's known as a prion disease and it's a result of abnormally folded proteins affecting normal proteins in the central nervous system. No available treatment and the average prognosis of only one year after diagnosis. It's just another example of some scary shit out there. Yeah, prions are frightening. Mm-hmm. Your proteins just fold wrong and you're going to die and there's no cure. There's nothing, nothing you can do once those proteins fold wrong. Mm-hmm. It's fucked up, right? <laughs> it is. 
Leah H says, I'm a microbiologist, and even though antifungus is, antifungals are not my particular area of expertise, I thought I'd write in with what I do know. As far as I understand, we only have two major case classes of antifungals. All the many drugs you mentioned are part of these two classes, meaning that they are all more or less have the same two mechanisms. I don't think anyone has been able to come up with something new for quite a long while. The reason for this is that fungi have more in common with humans than, say, bacteria do. In fact, fungi are genetically closer to animals than they are to plants. We have lots of different antibiotics that will damage, for example, a bacterial cell wall inside the body while leaving human cells untouched because bacterial cells are fundamentally very different from human. It's comparatively harder to find the same thing for fungi because there are fewer differences. Someone might write in and correct me, but that's my understanding. Uh, well, appreciate that insight, Leah. And uh, Spoo Finger, who is an ICU nurse that occasionally helps treat patients with anti severe fungal infections, also built on this. So because they're more rare, these fungal infections, they often go undetected for longer after you become sick because your health team is running tests for more common problems, bacteria, virus, cancer, autoimmune conditions. Also, because fungi can go dormant as spores, it can be very difficult to fully stomp out a fungal infection once it starts. Even when not dormant, fungi have cell walls made of chitin, which is the same material insect exoskeletons and crustacean shells are made of. I'm sure that gives them a degree of extra protection against our immune system as well. If we were presented with a novel fungal pandemic, you could expect it to take longer to identify the microbe causing the infection, the treatment options to be fewer and more harsh on the patients, and that the infection would be very difficult to eradicate. Uh, Another uh, listener wrote in that's mentioned a lot of common antifungals because they are kind of acting on the same mechanisms and humans are very hard on your liver and your kidneys. So you have to, you know, balance the the cure being worse than disease. So, yeah, yeah I guess that is pretty fucking scary. Yeah. Yeah. Hope they, they don't evolve. It. Hope they don't evolve away around the 94.5 degree thing. That'd be bad. <laughs> yeah. I hope we don't make that happen. Uh, John says, I want uh, to talk about that cat gut parasite that was brought up in your instant talk. It's called tax oplasmosis gandhi what it does is it lessens the fear in mice and makes them attracted to the smell of cat piss instead of repulsed fun fact about 40 percent of people have this too but it's believed people get it mostly from undercooked meats studies have shown what is believed to link this parasite with the dulling of fear making those infected less risk averse from the nih.gov site Similarly, T. Gandhi has been linked to behavioral changes in humans. Toxoplasma infection is classically associated with the frequency of schizophrenia, suicide attempts, or road rage. More recent studies shows that toxoplasma infections prevalence was a consistent positive indicator for entrepreneurial, entrepreneurial activity. Fear of failure would be less important uh, in infected in- individuals oh, who no. are more willing than others to start their own businesses. These elements shed interesting light on behaviors and their possible relationship with toxoplasmosis, which is generally considered benign, benignant in adults. Uh, You're oh-knowing. Yeah. Why is that? Mark Mark Zuckerberg is definitely infected, right? (laughs) Or he could be a fungus. (laughs) He could just be an elaborate fungal. He could just be a fungus, yeah. He's just an elaborate fungal colony (laughs) that is mimicking the... It's like the skin suit in Men in Black. Yeah. So, so they can take us all over, take our minds all over with social media. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. You're on to something. No, you're I was going to say something. I'm definitely infected, right? We started our own business. 
Yeah, but by accident, I think we're we're cool because we didn't okay. we didn't intend to do this. That we just we we're just doing this for funsies, and then people started throwing cash at us. We're like, well, okay, True. I guess. Um, and honestly, we're terrible at everything except for well, we say this all the time. We're we're terrible at everything except for actually speaking into these microphones and encoding them into MPEG layer three audio format. You know, yeah. everything else we kind of suck at. So. I think, even I think the I think, stuff we're good at is debatable. We're still we're still we're still pure bloods when it comes to the toxoplasmosis, <laughs> okay. I think. Good. Um we still have about 30% more. This is kind of funny how the statistics work out. 30% more feedback, but unfortunately, it's behind the chitinous walls of the spore lore section. It's really hard to to penetrate these these walls and not recommended if you haven't played the last of us part one we also have one email about the last of us part two it's going to be at the very end of the spoilers spoiler section so this is where you want to hit eject if you are a show only watcher thank you for listening if you'd like to get in on the feedback send that into tlou t-l-o-u at baldmove.com that stands for the last of us and we will be happy to consider it for next week and don't forget uh sunday night Right around 10 p.m., we're going to be going live with our instant take and instant talk episodes. If you're a club member, you're welcome and encouraged to join and watch us live. Participate through the YouTube chat option. We'll get to as many as we can. And uh, if you're not a club member, then enjoy the instant take that comes out uh, a few hours after that is recorded. Uh, And we'll be back, of course, next Tuesday for a no-holds-barred, complete breakdown uh take of the episode so that's what we got in store thanks for listening we'll see you next week and now on to the spore lore section as is appropriate uh we have a lot of spore actual spore lore to to talk about because i was asking people like what is your concern with the move from spores to tendrils uh Mm -hmm. i got some takers on this chris said um in 2013 when i first played the last of us i was an aircraft painter and I'd use a respirator every day. One thing I noted even back bef- uh, then uh, was that glorious Joel's glorious James Brolin-esque beard would essentially render his respirator useless and kill him immediately. Joel would have died a bloater's death right from the start from breathing in all the spores that his facial hair let in. The purpose of the respirator is to form a seal around the face to stop you from breathing what's outside. This requires daily shaving, but rather than mess with the character design, the writers just let it go can do stuff like this with video games, but I imagine a TV show is supposed to be more realistic. Just a thought. Um, this is also the reason why you have the characteristic walrus and um, uh, goatee looks on a lot of firemen because ah, their okay. breathing apparatus has to have that airtight seal around their face. Um, yeah, it's a big bummer for me. Uh, I use respirators sometimes when I'm doing woodworking and things. I think I'm fine because these are big enough particles that I think my beard strains them out pretty effectively. I've, uh-huh. I haven't noticed. Like, I can definitely notice when I'm not wearing my mask. And when I put it on, I get immediate relief. But for microscopic spores, yeah, Joel, Joel would probably be fucked. I seriously doubt this was a concern during the making of the TV show, though. Like, yeah, I, I don't. I don't think this was a realism thing. I think this was they just wanted to change it for other reasons. Yeah. And, you know, again, you, um, a lot of modern um, respirators have really nice big windows. It doesn't really block people's faces much, but it blocks them a little bit. And you're hiring these people to emote with their faces. Um, mm-hmm. 
I've also heard that you can uh, like cover your beard in Vaseline to get a good. So maybe hmm. you, what you don't okay. see in a video game is Joel's got a big old tub of Vaseline in his back pocket. Yep. He whips that out, does a quick little circle and then <laughs> adheres it to his face. Yeah, they, they they can't really. It's harder to make razor blades than it is Vaseline. So Vaseline's <laughs> like gold in, in The Last of Us. It is. If you want a beard, a post-apocalyptic beard, you got to have the petroleum jelly to go with it. And I mean, in the post-apocalypse, you're telling me you're going to shave every day? Get out of here. Yeah. I don't I, shave I think every day, it, and I live in a modern society. Also, I don't know if you have to be clean-shaven. Like, I know right. that if you have a beard like mine, um, it would definitely interfere, but... Because that's the other thing. is like they, they I've heard the same thing about diving with a um, a, a mask um that like the your if you have a mustache and you got a full you know full face mask a full nose mask that'll leak i i don't really get really i don't get leakage until i'm like 30 40 foot under the water mm-hmm. now that's yeah. like just getting started as a scuba diver but like i don't know i think i think there's but again with spores you wouldn't want to fuck around so yeah. uh kevin from cincinnati the queen city our adopted hometown. The only thing I can think of that would narratively change in a show because lack of spores is in the game. They come across spores in a location where Joel has to put on the mask and Ellie comes to his side. He says something to the effect of how are you breathing this stuff? To which she responds, I told you I wasn't lying. Maybe they'll have another way that the show will prove that she's immune and make it clear like that in later episodes. But they may just stick with the fact that she has the bite scar. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, because that was like. Yeah, but yeah, we'll see. Um, I think that's yeah. It's like if that wasn't in the game, I don't know that you'd miss it because yeah. a healed bite scar is a pretty good. And then again, it's not. It, like it a, almost a made human... Joel look dumb in the game. Like you idiot, you know she's immune. Why are you? Why are you questioning yeah. why she can breathe this stuff? You know. I think there's levels of certainty. Like it's been 20 years sure. and you've never For seen sure. one. And uh, and the other thing is, it's not just a bite mark in the game. And it looks like in a show, too, that you can see the starting of the tendril spread that is just halted and scarred over. Right. So it's, it's not, not like. Bite. Yeah, it's not like some person just got pissed at her and bitter. Uh, yeah. It's a fungal bite. Um, oh, that implies that there are is some teeth involved, too, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, the stuff with the old lady implied that, too. They're bleeding, like, from bite marks. They're not just... But I think you, I think those tendrils could, like, do... Like I said, you could, like, do that flesh so. flensing thing. I don't know. I don't know. I assume it's a bite to break the skin, and then the tendrils go in through there, but... Um, Aaron... Uh, double Aaron says, I mentioned in the instant talk that there... I thought the lack of spores in the show was going to present a problem, and here's my thoughts... The entire premise of the game is to deliver Ellie to the Fireflies in order to develop a cure in the form of a vaccine. So far, this appears to be mirrored in the show. Now, aside from the fact that there is no successful vaccine for a fungal infection, and I highly doubt that 20 years into an apocalypse is the ideal setting for developing the very first one known to mankind, there deserves to be some discussion around what's developing an effective vaccine would actually solve. Would it cure runners, clickers, stalkers, or bloaters? Absolutely not. Would it help those individuals who are mercilessly attacked by the aforementioned infected? Unlikely, considered they're often portrayed as getting swarmed and or mauled in such a way that their wounds are definitely life-threatening, assuming they even survive. Would it cure those who somehow manage to get scratched or bitten by the infected, such as Ellie and Tess? Possibly, but the game demonstrates that these circumstances are exceedingly rare. The only practical widespread application for the vaccine would be the prevention of infection from exposure to spores. 
This matters because of significant moral discussion around Joel's actions at the end of the game. The argument that he does what he does or what he does dooms humanity is a very flimsy one, in my opinion, even considering the in-game presence of spores. But what about spores without spores being a thing? It's not even an argument. The successful development of a vaccine would largely be inconsequential and the possibility of which simply isn't worth taking Ellie's life, especially without her consent. Um, I don't know that I agree with that. Um, and you say yeah, it's arguable. I, I disagree because I'm going to argue it. OK, argue it because I think this is pretty persuasive, but I also have some things that I want to throw in there. What's your what's your first take on this? I mean, it's clear that we we're not able to contain this. I don't know that we can fight back against it without some more protections. So something yeah. else in our arsenal, like it obviously devastated the planet, right? Mm-hmm. What has changed in 20 years um, that makes you think it wouldn't just happen again if we tried to go reclaim it. So I, I don't know. And if you look at this kid who wanders in, it's a kid. Like how did this kid get away from whatever attacked him and and escape in good enough health to walk all the way back to the QZ and only be put down after the, he's taken in and tested. I think there yeah. are a lot of cases where people would get bitten or or infected somehow. I'm not even sure we know the full extent of how people get infected, but get infected and then escape. I think there are quite a few of them as evidenced by this kid. Yeah, I, I think that the food vector that like if, if there's a case of like one part in a million spores that like flour could can, could contaminate somebody mm-hmm. like that, that would be so hard to screen for. And maybe something that like if you had full the world's full brunt of science to bear against it, you'd be fine. But the fact that like maybe there's a big outbreak in, in Austin, Texas, and we lost big parts of Texas, but then everything's fine for a month or two. And then another outbreak happens because. We don't have the technology to screen for these spores. And then like if that keeps happening and it, it continues like in the, you know, in, in the safe zones, like everyone's why you get a bad batch of this or that. And but the other thing is, like you mentioned that, like that we don't know how the infection works. They, I don't think the tendrils exclusively refer to those fairly short range things at the zombie's mouth. I'm guessing that they're getting because like some of this is based on concept art that they decided to not go with and in favor mm-hmm. of spores. But like the idea that these uh, mushroom this can send out this mycelium, which is a, this like yeah. f- um, spider webby network through organic materials, hundreds of yards, sometimes miles. There's mushroom mm-hmm. colonies that spread underground for miles and that you could be in an area that you think is safe. And then like a 12 foot tendril comes out, just zaps you and then <laughs> uh-huh. you're done. You're done. Um, I, I that I and I, and I don't because, again, I haven't seen I don't know. But like I did look at some of the concept art where it implies that some of those things might happen or there might be a highly mobile form that has like big tentacles on it that can have like a bigger area of effect. And the food contamination, though, is food contamination is a huge one. I would say also, you know, we're dealing with one particular outbreak um, that has had devastating effects. Who's to say that another type of fungal infection wouldn't evolve? Um mm and be an issue in the future even if we manage to get this one under control it's yeah i mean it's all about there's a there's a war on right yeah. with the fungus and humanity and every bit of weaponry they can aim at that thing yeah. is just another avenue for survival i, I think yeah i think 
vaccines are incredibly important. And if you can develop one, yeah, it might not help people who get directly bitten and torn apart by right. these things, but there are cases where it will help people and every person counts. So, yeah. If you get mechanically separated by a bloater, you're right. not going <laughs> right. to. But like, yeah, but like if, if imagine if they develop an antifungal based on Ellie research uh-huh. that they could like just get a crop duster to spray a city. And it's just going to kill within 24 to 48 hours all active infections. And yeah, or Monsanto you know, puts it into their future grain seeds or whatever. So you know? it's, it's, like, it's fungal proof. Or yeah, you've got yeah. like if you do get bit by one of those tendrils, it's now just like getting stung by a jellyfish and it's no longer a life threatening thing. It's just something that sucks. And within five to uh-huh. 10 years, all of these zombies will have died and eroded, even the ones you can't treat. And if you can just keep everybody, it, it's 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 a spark. Of, it's not a. It's not a like, oh, everything's going to go back to normal. It's a spark of right. hope. Right. So, yeah, we'll see. I, I Like I said, I, this is the one that this, uh, I will congratulate you, uh, Aaron, for being the first person to kind of like, oh, made me think. Yeah, because without the food, if they don't have to do anything other than the mouth tendrils, I'm back to kind of like, how does this zombie thing spread? as bad as it does and and also what was a will a vaccine do but uh i'm hoping i I think there's more smart people you know Mm -hmm. i'm also an admitted firefly apologist i the end of this game i have very strong opinions on i mean obviously everyone's supposed to right interesting Uh, but yeah we we can talk about that when we get to the end of the season (laughs) yeah yeah my second playthrough i i saved up a lot a lot of flamethrower ammo for that final (laughs) scene let's just say that I used it on everything and anything. You want to follow the light? <laughs> so, Mike from Buffalo says, I've decided to try to replay the first game and try to follow along with the show on a weekly basis. I'm trying to guess how far I need to go in the game before each episode. This will be my third time playing through the original game and my second time playing the Left Behind expansion. Just like you, I hadn't played the expansion since the first time it came out. I just finished it and the first hour or so of the original game. So initially thinking they'll try to cram Ellie's backstory from the expansion into the first or second episode of the show, but I forgot that the expansion is actually set up as a flashback sequence placed in the middle of the original game during a period of time where Joel is sort of unavailable in the story. It's during the winter sequence, right? Yeah, when he's injured. It's a time of reflection for Ellie, and now I won't be surprised if they do the exact same thing in the show. I guess we'll know relatively soon. Yeah, I mean... They jammed it in there because that's a place where it fit in the game. If you did it in the hindsight of like you can do anything you want, I, it might be better if they, you, you know, like I, 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 my prediction is there's going to be an extended cold open where it talks. So what you'll see, like, you know, Ellie and how she got separated from her family and got befriend, you know, found her new friend and they both get, you know, like I, I think it'll be a series of extended cold opens or. I guess the most the second most likely is yeah Mike I think you might got something going on here that they in 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 the winter episode while mm-hmm. Joe's delirious but before she gets jumped by the hunters or whatever the hell they're called um that she starts kind of reminiscing about how she got here that that could be that could work too yeah sure I have faith they'll do it well yeah that's what I'm saying. It's like, you know, like the spores thing and how are they going to like Craig Mason's a pretty smart guy. So is Bruckman or Dr. Dr- what what, what the hell is this? Druckman. Yeah. Okay. God, I have approximate knowledge of his last name. Neil <laughs> Druckman. Um, 
there are both very clever guys and I can't imagine that they would be like, Oh damn, we forgot that the spores are the reason you need to vac. Like they, they're, they're going to have to think that stuff through. Mm-hmm. Mary says, I want to get your opinion on something regarding the last of us. One thing my fiance was annoyed at in the first episode is they changed part of Joel's storyline in terms of why he agreed to smuggle Ellie out in the show. Joel wants a car battery that he wants to use to find his brother, Tommy. In the game, however, he only agrees so he can get his guns back. Joel's not a good person at the start of the game, but slowly goes on a redemption arc as his relationship with Ellie progresses. My fiance is concerned that this change is softening him up to viewers a little too much right off the bat and will lessen the impact of what's to come later in this, the, the series, the game. Uh, I've tried to do some research on this, but there really is an explanation of why they did this. I want to get your thoughts on why do you think they did this? Is it a necessary change? And how do you think it plays out in future episodes? Hmm. Can I say that I never That's thought awesome. that Joel was a bad guy? Like, especially if you judge. Guy. Yeah. I, yeah. And like, in, I in feel a hard like world, a really fucking hard world. You know, like Mike says in, in uh, better call Saul, like I've met uh, honest crooks and I've met crooked cops and I've met this and that. And like, you know, you're on one side of the law or another, but it has nothing to, t- to, to do with your character. That just yeah. is your your relationship with the law. And I feel like Joel is that. Like, I think Joel is a guy who keeps his word, who doesn't betray his friends, who is not any more brutal or ruthless than he needs to be. Probably doesn't want to be, but you have to mm-hmm. be to thrive in this world. And he's got a very tribal sense of I- identity, which I think is part of every good zombie apocalypse, you know, how your world kind of shrinks. Um, but so I, yeah, I, I, I like so, this softening him up. I, I don't, I, I don't necessarily buy that. Um, yeah, it's a pretty accurate depiction of who I think Joel is. Um, but if you want to say it changes the audience's perspective a bit, I could see it. Yeah. And there's also flashes of that, like the fact that he doesn't want to stop and help people because like, hey, I got a kid. Yeah. You know, maybe if him and Tommy didn't, you know, if he in a different world where he never had kids and he doesn't responsible, maybe he and Tommy stop and help those people out. But he's a very much I'm going to take care of mine first and especially in a crisis situation. So I didn't find it super inconsistent, but I can also see, you know, maybe if you thought that Joel was just like a real. I, like I said, John is, is is Han Solo a bad guy in A New Hope? Because uh, I I think that's what Joel's morality is. It, he's not, but only because he does the right thing in the end. I guess if he had just fucked off and left the rebellion to do their own thing, <laughs> yeah. I think he's more of a bad guy for sure. Sure, 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 sure. That's where the heart of gold comes from, you know. Right. He he threatens to not do the right thing, but in the end, he does. Yeah. Yeah. Because so. because of who he is, compels him. Right. Yeah. And it's not about the money. It's not about that. It's just that's who he is. Michael T says one of the most interesting parts of the T lose take on zombies isn't just that the victims are still alive. It's that in the early stages, at least on some level, they are completely conscious of what's going on and helpless to stop themselves. I got chills explaining to my wife how in the game the cordyceps go into a sort of dormant state when no one's around and as they pace around you can hear them mumbling to themselves about how much they hurt, things like that. I really hope they touch on that in the show because to me it's one of the creepier aspects of the infection. 
yeah sneaking around some infected and hearing them like talk about like like have moments of lucidity where they kind of realize the full horror of their situation for a moment and mm-hmm. is extreme and I, I remember there's a YouTube video when the game first came out where someone had extracted all the different things they say in their idle animations and there's some fucked up shit oh yeah Right. Yeah, I, I, I it's it is it is because that is the horror of it. You know, that's something that was kind of debated in The Walking Dead, like how much of people mm-hmm. are still. But like in The Last of It, it's pretty clear you're still a, a for at least the first part of the infection, a living, thinking human being that is being compelled against your will to do this crazy shit. Yeah, it's wild. So and I get I, I think Craig Mason is the type of guy to lean into that. So I wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if if we get to eavesdrop on a few and, and Ellie and Joel have a conversation about like, how do you feel about killing these people? Is this, mm-hmm. you know, right? I think I think I saw in the the, the weeks ahead that there was an art like she's like, you know, have you ever killed these fungus people before? What's it feel like? So I, I think that we've got that ahead of us. I'd be disappointed if they don't touch on this at all. Sure. Uh, Tom says to me, the game did a lot of its world building through little collectibles that you would interact uh, with throughout the levels. For example, Savage Starlight, the collectible comic book that you can find laying on the ground and and collect the episodes. Uh, These were usually in the form of notes or voice recordings that would provide background and location Ellie and Joel traveled through. One of these background stories that really stands out is the community that built up in the sewers that you travel with uh, through with Sam and Henry. I remember playing through that mission and gradually finding more and more notes that provided clues on what exactly happened there. It all leads to a crescendo when you discover the grisly scene where the survivors made their last stand. I remember a sense of dread come over you when you realize that Joel and Ellie find themselves in a very similar situation, the exact same room, now surrounded by clickers. I feel like the show doesn't outright include these collectible stories. They should at least provide a little Easter eggs for the game players to piece together. Yeah, the thing I love most about the last of us storytelling and the the reason i consider it kind of the absolute peak of that environmental kind of thing is because it truly tells the story with the environment i remember in those scenes you walking around and seeing like you know bunk bed barracks type stuff and and backpacks and water bottles and shit sitting on the ground but then you walk into a room and it's set up like a classroom. Like yes. A, it, it, not not with like a bunch of chairs and stuff, but like a chalkboard with toys and shit. And you're just like kids drawings. Oh, oh I, I see what's happening here. I didn't yeah. even need to pick up those notes to know what yeah. had gone on here. And there's nobody there. So you can assume the worst in this world. It's the way they tell the story with just the environment is incredibly good. Yeah. And I'm I have a a different opinion on some of these collectibles. I like doing the collectibles just for the, the completion aspect of it, just to like, you know, to explore every five, you know, bit of the level. I actually don't like the style of storytelling. And I think that like, um, the one it like, uh, was it horizon event, zero dawn horizon, zero horizon dawn. event, yeah. zero, whatever the you're, first you're one getting was caught up on event horizon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, horizon zero dawn that yeah. like that, a great story and a backstory, but it was exclusively told through these four and five minute holographic recordings. Mm-hmm. And as mm-hmm. much as I like getting the story, I fucking hated having to feel like I had to sit there with Aloy and what just to completely out of the game, have this story force fed to me. 
And I couldn't do anything like, you know, I can walk around, but then I might miss part of the story oh, and I might yeah, get jumped by something. And, Just don't and give like, me the freedom to walk around if you're going to tell me a story for four minutes, you know? Right, right. And it's just like I am I was doing this thing, sneaking around, trying to avoid these robot dinosaurs. And now I'm doing this other thing, which is just being told a story through like an in-game cutscene. I don't really like that shit. And I really like the way The Last of Us did it where... That stuff was there for like I was like saving that stuff in the uh, like Joel or Ellie's journal. And like at the end of the night hmm. where when I was get, getting ready to get done a playthrough, I'd go th- flip through and read them. Hmm. Okay. But you, you like that subway sequence. You didn't need any of that shit. No, because it like like you said, it told like, oh, this is survivor's camp and all. Oh, they had the military thing and here's their radio up house. But like, yeah, hmm. that that school when you get there, it's like everything changes about yeah. like the nature of this and what actually happened and you know the the gore and stuff that you find in connection with that and i prefer that to where i i kind of feel it's a failure of gameplay storytelling if you only get the story by going through those things like a person just playing the game should know 95 percent of what a person reading the the you know the skyrim right. war books does right and it it, it can't be all exposition either imagine if you were watching a tv show that just did that that just sat you down and had had the main character just reading note after note and listening to audio recordings (laughs) and like right no look i know how that's how chernobyl opens but it doesn't stay that way the entire time but yeah 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 you gotta gotta do something more engaging and the last of us nailed it in my opinion yeah yeah i agree and i think that like um TV has a actually has, a, has got a bet. Like I can think of a million ways for Pedro and Bella to discover the nature of that underground facility and realize at the same time of the audience what's going on without having yeah. to pause and read someone's fucking diary. We'll be right back with more Bald Move after this brief pause. Here are the highlights coming up this week on Bald Move. All new Pulp and Prestige this week. On Tuesday, we'll cover the latest episode of The Walking Dead, The Ones Who Live on Pulp. And on Thursday, we'll catch up with the latest Samurai subterfuge on FX Hulu's Shogun. Then on our House of the Dragon feed, Anthony puts on his Maester's class on Monday. And then on Thursday, Steve joins him for Electric Bookaloo as they continue their discussion of George R. R. Martin's A Clash of Kings. Find these and many of our other great podcasts by searching for Bald Move Pulp or Prestige in your favorite podcast app. FX is adapting James Clavell's best-selling novel, Shogun, into a 10-part miniseries this spring. Set in the Shogunate period of Japan at the turn of the 15th century, Shogun depicts the rise of a feudal lord to Shogun, as seen through the eyes of a shipwrecked English sailor. It's loosely based on the real-life exploits of William Adams and Tokugawa Ieyasu. Shogun has already been successfully adapted back in 1980 with a widely acclaimed miniseries starring Richard Chamberlain featuring intricate plots, political scheming, complex characters, and thrilling action. This time, husband and wife team Justin Marks and Rachel Kondo try to recapture the successes of the novel and early adaptations while increasing the levels of historical and cultural accuracy that are often perceived as flaws of this and similar works. Starring Hiroyuki Sanada from The Last Samurai, Mortal Kombat, and John Wick 4, with Cosmo Jarvis of Peaky Blinders, Raised by Wolves, etc., joining the truly massive cast required to bring this complex world to life. Join Aaron and I each week as we deep dive into each episode, uncovering the mysteries, the intrigue, and the glory of Shogun. Shogun premieres on FX Hulu Tuesday, February 27th at the two-part debut. 
Our podcast will release each Thursday thereafter. Get our Shogun coverage by searching for Bald Move Prestige in your favorite podcast app. Rick, how you doing, buddy? You, you don't know what it's like out there. Hey, man, do you even know what it's like out there? No, not really. I've been mostly kind of flying around in helicopters, carving likenesses of Michonne into cell phones, that kind of thing. What is it like out there? Oh, well, I think it's time to find out, man. Last I saw your wife, Michonne, was out uh, following a giant wagon train. That, that sounds pretty weird, but it seems like a family-friendly outfit. I mean, she's got RJ and Judah with her, right? Um, actually, she kind of left them to be raised by Negan and Daryl. Well, crap. Hold on, let me get my boots. All right, well, Rick is getting ready. Aaron and I are, too. We're preparing to once again recommission the Watching Dead out of mothball status to find out what's going on with Rick and Michonne, the ones who live. The six-part miniseries premieres Sunday, February 25th on AMC, and we'll be ready with our full episodic coverage each Tuesday. And afterwards, who knows? Maybe we'll check out Dead City. Find our coverage for The Ones Who Live by searching for The Watching Dead or Bald Move Pulp wherever you listen to podcasts. And now, back with more Bald Move. Shum says, he's got an incoming hot take. I expect there will be a lot of discussion and debate around what delivers a better experience between the video game and the HBO series, but I want to contribute to a conversation with my bold contention. As much as I've been enjoying the HBO series so far, it's not actually possible for it to overtake the video game. My main argument for this is the video game forges a connection between you and the main character that makes the emotional beats hit harder in a way that cannot be replicated on a TV show. For example, the introduction sequence is a prime example of this. The game's opening cutscene shows the relationship between Joel and Sarah that gets you to like these characters almost immediately, something the show replicates beautifully. You again get to the first gameplay sequence where you get to actually play as Sarah as she explores the house looking for Joel. As the sequence progresses, Sarah gets more and more freaked out, and the player is able to relate to those feelings since we are expecting something scary to happen around each corner. We forge a strong bond with this character almost immediately. Joel returns with Tommy, kills one of the neighbors, and tells Sarah to get in the car. Sarah is obviously shocked by the sudden violence and feels completely helpless as she rides in the back of her car. Our bond with her grows even stronger as we have to strain to look out the windows and over Joel and Tommy's shoulder to see where we're uh, going as the outside, uh, on the outside as we drive by. The player's movement is extremely limited here, and we can do nothing but watch the growing chaos around us as we enter the city. Uh, of course, you know, car gets hit, Sarah gets injured, and the player's control now shifts to Joel as he's forced to carry Sarah. Because we have such a strong attachment to her, we really relate to Joel's fear and desperation to keep her safe. We want Joel to succeed in getting Sarah to safety, making the stakes very high as you run from the infected in this area. We get a moment of relief as a soldier kills the runner chasing us, and then growing horror as we realize the soldier's going to kill us next. Um, so it goes on like this, and... He says that as Joel's desperate sobs, uh, as he realizes there's nothing else he can do, are agonizing because his failure is our failure. We feel his loss as if it is our own. Uh, He says, I think the HBO job did an incredible job recreating the sequence, but our lack of agency as mere viewers put us at an inherent distance between us and the characters that cannot be overcome in this media. 
To be completely fair, the TV show can do some things that the video game can't, such as added additional depth and context to characters and situations the game doesn't have room for. But I just don't think there's enough to make up for the bond that's forged with the character that you can actually control and feel responsible for. What do you think of this hot take? Uh, I don't think it's as hot as it seems. Um, I I mostly agree with this. I, I think this is why I get so frustrated with people, you know, like Roger Ebert, who say that video games can't be art. Not yeah. only that they aren't when they're on PlayStation One, but they they never can be because right. the there is. I mean, you could do anything on a video game console that you could do on a television screen. You could just sure. run a movie, call it a video game because it has a couple of in-game like prompts to make decisions or whatever. I mean, look at what Netflix is doing, right? Yeah. Uh, you can do that stuff, and it will be every bit as effective as a movie. But what you can't do in a movie is put the player in the actual position of making those decisions, right? You, you cannot make a decision for a movie character or a TV show character. It's not possible, um, but you can in a video game, and that's mm. entirely different. That is a new level of art uh, or possibility space, I guess, for for making art. Now it's not I'm watching someone else do this. How do I feel about it? It's I'm doing this. How do I feel about it? I, I think that inherently forms a stronger bond with the character yeah. that you're inhabiting. Maybe it's just because I'm, you know, kind of middle to older Gen X. But like I find a lot of the I, I thought the Last of Us introduction works out really well. But I don't mm-hmm. know how many times I, I just groan when like I'm in uh, Call of Duty and my character has gotten injured and I have to crawl for three, you know, for two minutes at a restricted crawling speed as bombs are ringing in my ears and I'm bleeding out and I can hear my own breathing. And I'm like, oh, so fucking immersive. Me holding this stick for two minutes as my guy stumble fucks for like I yeah. kind of hate that shit when it breaks to just to have you do some kind of month or like, you know, the what was it? Mm-hmm. The uh, modern warfare that had the press F to salute. Like yeah. Just, yeah, to pay respects. Uh-huh. Stupid shit like that takes me out of the game. I, I don't. I don't remember many of those sequences in The Last of Us, but I think that they, yeah. you know, it's like to me, I'm either playing the game, I'm watching a story, and I find it very hard to blend those two together. Very few franchises do it successfully. Some, I, I think God of War yep. does it with the little quick time sequences, mm-hmm. things like that. But like, it can definitely get to be too much for me. Um. Like anything, also, like film, it can be done very well and it can be done very poorly. Yeah. So, and then you gotta you, this. This is a this is not a new debate. Like it's new because it's video games mm-hmm. and all the video game adaptations so far have been horseshit. But like, what is the definitive version of the Lord of the Rings? Is it the good question? Tr- the trilogy of duologies that Professor Tolkien wrote. Is it the Peter mm-hmm. Jackson version? Is it the theatrical release? Is it the extended release? Like, what is the definitive version? Is The Godfather better than uh, Mario Puzo's original novel? Mm-hmm. And sometimes, like, it might be which one did you discover first? Because if you sure. read the Tolkien books first and then you saw the movie, maybe you think the books are the definitive version. If you saw the movie and then read the books, I guarantee you're going to see Gandalf as Sir Ian McKellen. So... I, I just think there's a lot there's a lot of room I mean, to debate here and I don't think there's a right or wrong answer yeah I, I mean I'll agree with that I, I think like you have to look at the possibilities you can't look at, at the examples of how it's been done because it potentially could be done better 
You know, if if you were right. saying like in the PlayStation One era, well, these games just aren't immersive. Look how terrible they look. Look at the sure. mechanics. You're just pressing this button to have to pay respects. Right. <laughs> how could it be done? Right? Could mm-hmm. it be done better? You have to think about what does the medium enable you to do, and in this case, it has something over film uh games have something over film in that they can actually put you in the position of making the choices for the character and i think that is inherently a a larger space to play in than being limited to something that is pre-scripted yeah yeah and like i said i i can appreciate shum's point here because i think there is the there is something to that inherent interactivity that makes you but like also i think it's when I'm watching a movie about a parent losing a child, I'm not thinking, oh, it sucks to be that person. I'm thinking, oh, my God, I know how bad it would feel when I if I lost my child. And it right. kind of feels like I, I it does feel like I'm sharing in their failure and their sure. and their successes. You know, like that's why power fantasies work, why it feel like I why the first time I saw The Matrix, I want to come out and do Kung Fu. Uh, mm-hmm. To the first guy I saw in a suit and sunglasses because I was amped up by being, you know, like being Keanu Reeves, being Neo, being the one. But at the end of this season, you're not going to get the choice whether or not to rescue Ellie. It's just going to happen right. in front of you. Yeah. Whereas in in the game, you potentially could. Right. So although do you really? Because the la- the part two starts and. There's not a version where you can be like, what did you do? Did you kill? Did you sacrifice Ellie or did you do this other thing? So there's definitely. But but ideally you could. You could make that game. It's just way more expensive. And it's it's hard. Yeah. But as the art evolves, I think we will get there. Um, Okay. We're at the super spore lore part. Part two. This is going to be spoilers involving The Last of Us part two. So if you are the, what was it? 13 some percent that's only played one that hasn't played two. Uh, now's your chance to bail out now because we're going to talk about events from spoiler from from The Last of Us 2. Are you ready? Okay. Caleb says, how would you guys feel about Abby being introduced in the later parts of season one rather than waiting until season two? There are multiple flashbacks in the second game with Abby and her father set during the first game that would fit well with the narr- narrative of the first season of the show, in my opinion. Plus, with her physical transformation she goes through after her father's death, it'd be interesting to see her before she gets completely jacked. The major change here, however, would be that we wouldn't start the second season hating her after she kills Joel as we would be able to sympathize with her much quicker than playing the game. I think this could be a cool opportunity to have the show be a much different emotional experience in the game, but what do you guys think? I kind of hate this. Mm, What do you think about it? I don't want to tinker too much with Last of Us 2. Because you're right. It would have a very different emotional experience, but that emotional experience of The Last of Us 2 is unique. I've mm-hmm. ne- I've watched a lot of shit. I played a lot of video games, listened to a lot of music, read a lot of novels. I was very tempted to stop playing the game. Like when I got to the flip and I realized what I was going to have to do, I was going to have to play the rest of the game yeah. as this fucking piece of shit. I'm like, <laughs> fuck, I don't want to do this. This is dumb. And I uh-huh. really I, I quit playing for it. And I, I think we did a whole podcast on this. We did. Yeah. That like I begrudgingly like, OK, I guess. And by the end of that game, I would not have wanted to do it any other way because that's Mm -hmm. that's exactly the fucking point, like how context matters to your view of someone's actions. Good. And it it does so much to explain so much fucked up shit in the world, Mm -hmm. Um, both at the individual level and at the broader macro geopolitical level. And 
I yeah, I I would yeah, I would not want to do that. I want I want they definitely have to get the flashbacks in. You definitely have to see young Abby and her transformation and why she does the things she does. But I hope they find a way to where, like, ideally the first half of The Last of Us Part Two would just be Joel and Ellie, you know, doing stuff and back together again. And they're strained. You don't know. And then at the like one third mark, it just becomes the Abby show. And then, like maybe Ooh, the penultimate, interesting, or may, and then maybe the you, you go away for that for like ten episodes, and then the penultimate and finale, you bring Ellie back into it for the hammer. Um, Boy, as much as gamers don't want to see a switch in POV that drastic, I I've never seen it done on television that way. It would be very ballsy. I yeah. I'm kind of interested in them trying it, even if it's a colossal failure. Yeah, and especially since it's part two and that they're not doing any more, like I just uh-huh. go for it, guys. Because I'm trying to think of sure, like in House sure. of the Dragon, if in the middle of the season, like we yeah. just went away from the Targaryens or just the Allison show. Suddenly it's auto, auto for ten episodes, right? Right. right. But but you might feel different about like because like I you know I felt like I had to uh-huh. like I was pounding spikes in my eyes trying to explain to people like you can without changing your mind see things through someone's else point of view, yes, you know, might yes. actually help you defeat your enemies better. And that kind of, but like people, I think that's one of the polarizing reactions to the last of us too. this, you know, put aside all the, you know, culture wars, bullshit. It, like I said, I don't have any of that baggage, but like Abby is a big fucking piece of shit. She killed one of my, like, like, belo- like a beloved character to me. Um, in a cold-blooded, ruthless fucking fashion. And like, I don't want to fucking know more about, I don't want to get in this person's skin. I don't want, but boy, I'm, boy, I'm glad <laughs> ten, I did. 10 episodes of, of Laris. 10 yeah. episodes of Laris in, in House of the Dragon season two. That's what I want. <laughs> all feet, all feet uh-huh. action all the time. So, uh-huh. so bring in Quentin Tarantino to guest direct those three episodes. <laughs> Ten. Uh, ten. I want ten. Ten. No ten. One for each toe of Allison's feet. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Is there such a thing as a toe open? A toe open? <laughs> That's a new thing. That's ballsy. QT would introduce. Would invent it. He'd have to invent it. <laughs> uh, I, I know. I'm curious for people to, you know, for the the one third of us apparently who's done both. Like, do you guys, you know. Do you feel me? Because like, I, 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 again, I, I prize The Last of Us too because it's gorgeous, and I really like the stealth slash aggro mechanic that Naughty Dog does so well. But I just truly appreciated the journey, and I prefer The Last of Us two over The Last of Us, even though The Last of Us has a maybe stronger, more straight through um, storyline. Because I just never felt the things I felt at the end of The Last of Us two. Hmm. I will say, if Where, you're looking for that podcast that we recorded. It's in it's in our off the clock podcast, which is a club only thing. So yeah, if you search find for, it if you're not a club member, like if you do like search for bald move off the clock, the last of us, you'll, you'll probably find it. And like I said, like I, it went to where I flip flop, like where I was kind of sickened by Ellie's actions at the end of the last of us too. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't remember what agency you have, like whether you get a similar thing where you get the, but like, I don't think it's much. Yeah, I can't. Um, I can't remember. It's been a while. I played that when it first came out. So, but um, I definitely probably I definitely want to play that again before season two. If, if we because I the yes. other thing is like I don't think there's any confirmed season two. 
Like I, I think I, four point seven million people watching the night of is yeah. almost a confirmed season two. But sure, because it's right. certainly Craig and and Neil have been talking about it. Yep, and they want to do uh, it. But I also think it's going to either be two seasons, um, or it's going to be like one super seventeen episode season. But who knows? They might, yeah. you know, they might have ways to condense all that. Anyway, that's going to be it for our uh, spoiler, our super spoiler, the feedback episode. T L O U, T L O U, The Last of Us. T L O U at baldmove.com is how you send us feedback for this show. Um, love to have you follow us on Twitter, twitter.com slash baldmove. Uh, if you haven't, please take an opportunity to rate and review our podcast in your favorite podcast app. Super easy. Just takes a couple seconds, couple minutes, and it makes a big, big impact uh, for us here at Bald Move. And uh, thanks for listening. Uh, we will see you again on Sunday night, uh, either on the instant take. If you're not a club member or again, uh, come on and uh, watch live with us just after the episode's over. Get that link at baldmove.com. If you're a classic club member on patreon.com slash baldmove. If you're a Patreon club member and uh, come join us, let us know what you thought. Uh, and if nothing else, we'll see you next for the full podcast on Tuesday. Until then, I'm Aaron and I'm Jim. See ya.